0: Welcome to the Deep Dives Podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and today I have the conductor of chaos himself back on the program, Tyler Rucker. Tyler, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm uh, diving through some film, getting... Uh, we've had a fun week at No Ceilings, so we just released our our big board as me and you are speaking, Nick, and we got a mock draft tomorrow, but... Um, I'm doing good. It, you know, a lot better than I usually am this time of the year. How about yourself? How are we holding up? um I'm doing all right. Uh <laughs> it's been a exhausting few days
0: for me. But you know, other than that, <laughs> other than that, it's a it's a pretty busy time of the year for us around around these draft parts.
1: Yes. I mean, it it's funny how I'll be feeling good for three days. I'm like, okay, maybe this note, this uh, draft cycle isn't going to be exhausting. And you ask me next week, I might be swapping her swapping parts with you. I feel like I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, it's just a matter what type of the what type of the day it is. Just 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 trade the one brain cell that we have around just <laughs> letting to it sleep. <laughs> it's so true, though. I mean. <laughs> I love the madness. I love the grind. But oh, my gosh, when it's July after Summer League, I don't know if I've slept better in my life than that <laughs> month. I do uh, I feel like a bear going into hibernation. Yeah, no, I,
0: I would come out of hibernation for, you know, everything we were publishing every couple, <laughs> every couple
1: days or So I'd come out of hibernating to edit and then go right right back into the cave. <laughs> yes, 100 percent. I'm the same way. I'm like, oh, gosh, last year was the funniest because I was like, what do I do now? And then all of a sudden I was like, I guess I'll turn on like some FIBA stuff because I was just like, I have no void. I have to fill this. I don't know. It's crazy. Well, the
0: FIBA stuff is actually a great way to transition into what we're going to talk about today, which is an article that you wrote last week that it's funny because when you let me know that it was ready for editing, you weren't so sure about the article. And then I read it it was like, dude, this is fantastic. What are you talking about? And incredibly important to discuss in this time of year, really in all times of year for the draft cycle, but particularly right about now, the piece is titled it's overthinking season. And that's where we are at this point in the draft cycle. So I'm curious what sort of, I mean, this is something that, you know, comes up pretty often in, you know, draft thought and, you know, trying to think through the draft, but I'm curious, what was it that prompted you to write this piece when you did?
1: Um, You know, it is a really popular time of the year where i think a lot of people can get bored and um i didn't i tried to i wrote that article and it's funny how you mentioned that because i i really felt that way when i i was finished i was like i don't i don't know if i got what i wanted to say out like it it's just one of those things where you're i've always struggled to put thoughts to paper sometimes and be like this is what i'm seeing this is what i'm believing and sometimes you just write something and I'm like, did I accurately get everything out that I'm trying to, you know, and you just second question yourself, you start overthinking yourself. So, yeah. you know, that that's the chess, <laughs> that's complete circle right there. But, um, and that's what I said to you. I was like, ah. and I don't like to be this person that writes way too much. Like I don't want it to bore people. So I was like, all right, well, Hey, we'll see what, we'll see what happens and people loved it. And I was like, all right, awesome. I guess I, I do. But um, to answer your question, Nick, like, I really do think this is the time of the year where we get bored. Um, I think evaluators, fans, we watch so much dang film. We watch all these guys. We feel like we have a grasp for them. And then this is a, the time of the year where you're like, I know all these guys. Like, what what can I talk about to, to spice it up? Or if you love Scoot Henderson all year, now you might be like, well, was the three-point shot really that good? Was the playmaking that good? Or, you know, am I overthinking that, it was a positive and, and I just think we get bored. And then I think it's really important that that's almost when me, I don't know what you do, Nick, but I almost like wiped the slate qu- clean because I'm like, I need to go back and just have a fresh process of thinking and evaluating all these guys. Cause I don't, I think you could get it, a little too like mudded if you want to put it that way, where it's just like you're you're going through dirt, and you're just like I uh, I know these guys, you know I know Keontae George can shoot, I know Keontae George also has playmaking ability, I know Amen Thompsons are and the Thompson twins are fascinating playmakers, but that's why I think this is a time of the year where you got to be careful because you really do start getting um, in a battle with your own thoughts. It's really funny that you brought that up because I actually had that moment about three
0: weeks ago when I was just like, all right, I'm going to scrub this clean. Like the only thing that I'm a hundred percent confident in heading into that sort of wipe of my board was all right. When when is going to be number one. I don't think, I don't think that's changing anytime right. soon, but you know, I literally just, I got to the point where it was like, okay, this is, you know, I've got sort of entrenched positions on like who I think belongs, where, and you know i went back and re-watched and there were some players who moved pretty significantly on my board and you know that's the kind of thing where if i hadn't sort of had the thought of okay you know i've sort of established where i'm at with all of these prospects if i just keep going until the rest of the season you know i'm just not going to have as much movement as i should near the top of the draft because i've you know sort of figured out where i am on a whole lot of these players and you know It was interesting because there were some players that stayed pretty much where they were, which I felt, you know, better about in terms of the overthinking side of things that I ended up basically in the same place. But yeah, there were some players who moved pretty significantly when I when I went
1: through that process. It's uh, that happens to me every year, every single draft cycle. I get to a guy that I start overthinking, and I, I think that's really important um kind of twist on it is when you're puzzled on a prospect like say you just can't get a firm grasp or say everyone's thinking of a guy as a top 10 pick and you're just like i just don't see this and i think it's dangerous to almost think like okay i have to watch more film i have to keep watching film mm. like sometimes just get away from it like sometimes go watch other guys get completely away from it or sometimes you need to not watch film. Sometimes you need to go out. Maybe you go to the gym or maybe you go <laughs> get a drink or something like that. And, and touch grass. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you come back with a clear head and, and you might see something. And, um, one of my, my favorite things to do if I'm ever really that puzzled, um, obviously the seasons are coming down, but it's like, I used to be like, go watch the guy live. You'll, you'll mm. clear your head really quickly. But, um, now with regular seasons ending up and March Madness around the corner, like obviously that, that might not be there for a lot of people, but it's still so important. Just be patient, you know, take the Tylenol for headaches. But I mean, <laughs> you're going to get frustrated. That's the part of every single draft cycle. And there is guys in every single class that frustrate me. There's guys in this class that I'm frustrated with. And after watching their film for two straight days without sleeping, then I'm going to go back and watch them. I'm <laughs> I'm kidding. But I mean, is there any guys on the top of your head right now, Nick, that you're struggling with? We can we can put each other on the spot. Oh. I'll spill okay. my secrets. Well, I was actually planning on putting you on the spot
0: later in this podcast. Oh, okay. so we'll,
1: wait it. We'll, we'll tease it then. We'll, now wait, we'll it.
0: wait. Now you've done it. Yeah. Um, but so since we've decided to tease that rather than going into it right now, let's talk about the player who I think is the poster child for overthinking things at this point in the season. Scoot Henderson, it was just announced earlier today that he will not be playing anymore for the G League Ignite this season because they're far out of the playoff picture and they don't want to get hurt and all of those things. But even before, you know, that talk of him getting shut down that came out today, Tuesday, as we're recording this, for the last two weeks, there's been a lot of buzz around is Scoot Henderson still the guy at number two and it's really interesting because a lot of those discussions are framed as like you know have we uh you know have we overthought this you know we've just had scoot at number two all season you know should we think about brandon miller and it's interesting because it's almost the opposite of that in that people are saying like hey have we overthought the scoot at two thing when in reality it's like hey we're kind of bored and brandon miller is the best looking prospect in college basketball so you know do we want to put him ahead of this g-league guy you know maybe they can't quite get themselves to the place where they're saying saying, no, we're going to put Brandon Miller ahead of Wembenyama because, you know, Wembenyama is not a college guy. But they are in that place with Scoot Henderson, and
1: it is odd to me. Really strange. Um, And and, and I have to say this before we go too down, you know, to travel too far down the rabbit hole. This is nothing against Brandon Miller. I think Brandon Miller has been... He's had the dream season when it comes to his performance on the court. Like, he's done everything you've wanted to see from a... You know, preseason, we were talking about a guy like, oh, Brandon Miller was building some buzz. Not a lot of people yeah. had him as a top five guy. And um, he's been awesome. He's shown the ability to score from three levels. He beginning of the year, this is how quick the narrative shifts. And this is what I wanted to get with my overthinking piece. It's like beginning of the year, everyone was like, Brandon Miller's overrated. He can't finish at the basket. Like that's what everyone was hammering home. And then we get he solves that the percentage goes up and we're like, okay, so what now? And the guy's almost shooting, you know, 40, 40, 90 at some times. And you get it back to, we're seeing him constantly. Not yeah. a lot of people are diving to go watch Scoot Henderson G League film. And that, that, that's the truth. And it, it hurts for some people to, to say like maniacs in the draft community are going to watch as much Scoot as we can, but we can always, every fan can turn on the TV and find Brandon Miller film. A Brandon Miller game because Alabama is one of the top teams in the country. It's around March Madness; they're on all the time. Scoot Henderson, you got to go find it. And I think maybe that's just what's maybe creating this monster is because everyone's seeing Brandon Miller so much right now that they're like, "Well, this guy's putting up thirty in some games. He's putting up forty in some games. Like he's six nine. He can play. He's got playmaking vision. Like Scoot shooting." almost 30% from three. Is he really that good? I get it. I think people are bored. I think people are bored right now. And I think this is like, well, everyone knows Victor's number one. What, what can we talk about now? We had the Thompson twins in the beginning of the year. It was like, Hey, is the men Thompson going to go third? Now the Thompson twin kind of conversations faded a little bit. So everyone's like, well, what's juicy. What can we, we get at? And it's a, it's, I don't think it's a debate. I understand the debate. I, I think it's an interesting talk talking point that we're going to probably hear a lot of for the next couple of months because it's a 6'9 wing in a wings league against a 6'2 point guard that I still think could be a franchise-altering piece. I think Scoot has all the tools you want from a point guard, and everyone's going to be fascinated about his three-point shot. He shot like 16% last year. He almost doubled his shooting percentage from three. It was up around the 40% for most of the year or high 30s, whatever you want to say. He's got a 6'9 wingspan. That's unheard of for a point guard. I mean, I think he's got a lot of tools. So I don't know, Nick. Maybe I'm crazy.
0: I don't think you are. It's funny because this is the exact discussion that we had when we were talking about Nikola Juricic and when we were talking about Ryan Repair. It's like he is playing in the second best professional league in the world, and he's putting up 18 and 6 on like 45, 33, 76 splits. That's insane. He's 18 years old, and he's putting up those numbers against you know, again, the second best professional competition in the world. And like, I'm sorry, Brandon Miller playing against whoever the fuck state is not as impressive as Scoot putting up 18 and eight against G League guys.
1: It just isn't. I mean, what would Scoot be doing in the SEC right now? And this is not slander against the SEC, but, um, you know, Scoot, I think he just turned 19 last month. So he's been two years of playing experience against grown men. One of the best developmental leagues in the world. Um, I still think that if you can have success at that, I mean, he's having success last year when he was 17 years old yeah, against 25 year olds trying to make it an NBA. And then he comes back in the following year, he gets all this much better. I mean, we're forgetting in the beginning of the year, how good scoot was against Victor. Yeah. <laughs> that one game, if you go watch that game, like it's hands down, I saw him in person. Like, I'm not trying to say like, only listen to me, but I think anybody <laughs> at No Ceilings will back me up. If you watch that game as a draft fan, that's one of the best performances I think I've seen of anyone in this class. Scoot going against Victor. Like, Victor is number one on a lot of our boards. But there was people banging the drum after that week of like, hey, Scoot's my guy. And I was like, "It, I love it. I believe in you. Go for it. I just think right now, Scoot hasn't been creating that buzz. Scoot hasn't really been getting that that, you know, momentum train and brandon miller has been really damn impressive but he's been impressive all year and scoot is exactly where you want him to be when it comes to his development as a potential franchise point guard i mean he's been awesome i the playmaking slander i've seen gosh now nick you got me fired up um just some people being like oh he hasn't taken those leaps of playmaking i think it was even like Woj said nba guys have thought i was like you gotta be kidding me if You watched him last year compared to this year. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, like a world step of difference. forward. He's taken And I know Metcalf's written about him, I know um, Maxwell's written about him. Like, I don't know, just crazy. Go to no check it out exactly. And you know, again, we've hammered this point
0: home, but you know, yeah. bear hammering home again. I mean, Brandon Miller is a clear top five pick, right? This isn't a knock on him, this yeah. is just. This is entirely praise of, you know, I mean, when Maxwell went through it, it's like, Scoot is one of the best guard prospects we've seen in the last 20 years, right? Like <laughs> if you're going to put Brandon Miller ahead of him because, you know, he had admittedly a very impressive run for Alabama, but in the SEC as opposed to in the G League, right? There's a world of difference in
1: competition. Absolutely. And um, you know, every it, it's this happens in every cycle where I feel like pe- fans get bored and tried to find the narratives to latch on to. So Scoot right now, it's the... Well, the three-point percentage isn't great. Um, he's only 6'2 for a point guard. And I I understand those, but I also think we can get lazy. Myself yeah. included. You 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 find a, a potential red flag, and you try to put a spotlight on it. Scoot's 6'2. I saw him. I saw Keontae. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys. But Scoot was... Physically, when I when I saw Victor when they played the Ignite, Victor right away just wowed me because of his I was like, Oh my gosh, he is an alien. He looks yeah. like an alien person. And for everyone listening that hasn't had the opportunity to see him, when he's playing in an NBA arena, go check him out because you're gonna be like, What in the world? I mean, the only other person that shocked me that much was like Giannis when I first stood I was side I was by side to him.
0: Just about to say I saw Giannis in person for the first time last night, and it is just an absolute experience. And to think that Victor has got five inches on him and like
1: (laughs) a step back
0: three in the picture. It's just, I can't even imagine.
1: Giannis was like when I, so I used to work for warriors and I, I did game operations. So I'd be standing courtside Mm -hmm. and um, the players would often run out like right by us or stand around and then wait to go run out. And Giannis was like the first year he noticeably put on weight Mm. and um. He's like standing in the tunnel, and I'm like standing to the right of him. And I'm like six two, but I'm obviously I'm not an NBA shape, but I'm like six two. So I'm like okay, I can kind of have a good judgment of like how tall guys are. Like are you, you did with Tucker? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> Shout out to that <laughs> everyone that gets that joke up. is going to laugh so hard <laughs> right now. Giannis, like I looked to the left and he was like pretty much right across from me. And I was just like, I feel like less of a human being, (laughs) like standing next to Giannis. I mean, he, his arms went forever. He was just like ripped. And then years later, he's already gained like another 20, 30 pounds. But I was just like, dude, this guy doesn't look like he's supposed to, this is an alien. And then when I saw Victor, like obviously Victor's very skinny, but I was like, gosh, this dude, he's taller. (laughs) like He's that much bigger. And what I'm getting at is... Scoot impressed me just as much because I knew he was 6'2", and I was like, oh, man, am I going to be underwhelmed like seeing him? Is he going to look like this guy that's going to – Scoot is ripped, and it is not just like cut up. He's bulky. He's stocky. He is going to be a bowling ball running into people, and then you pair that with his length. I mean, his arms, too, went forever. I'm not shocked to see that reported 6'9 wingspan. Guards aren't built like that. Yeah, um, I, I know everyone's going to think that you're six two with freakish speed and athleticism and a plus seven wingspan. You don't find that all the time. So, yeah, um, I think scoots gonna be fantastic. So up next,
0: we have two other prospects who are not playing in college basketball this year, mm-hmm. the Thompson Twins. And yeah. I think I have overthought the Thompson Twins more than anybody else in this class and yet somehow i've moved them around my board less than almost anybody else because i had them like in the five six seven range and that's other than like the first few months of the season where i had a man at three that's basically where i've been with them all year where it's like i think they're top half of the lottery guys just based on the tools that they have and you know as you mentioned in the article the competition level in ote is much better than it was last year you know it's it's not the sort of league that it was last year when it was just, you know, finding its feet and getting started. And I'm in a very strange place with the Thompson twins where, you know, I think it's almost similar to scoot in a way that because it's harder to find film for them. I mean, you know, scoot, I've watched a ton of scoot film mostly to watch CD Suzuko, but that's a side point. But the idea being with the Thompson twins that, You know, they have such exceptional tools, and Amen in particular has such, you know, incredible playmaking tools. And you've seen Asar in person, I have not, but you know, he taking leaps forward as a shooter is huge for his development. I feel very weird about where to place them because part of me feels like I can't drop them out of the top half of my lottery, and the other half of me thinks. Am I just overthinking this? I'm, am I just too focused on the tools with them and not focused enough on what they've actually been
1: able to do on the court? It's a very weird place to I'm at with them. I, I've overthought them, this, this whole process. That's why I got in the car and I drove to go see them when they, when they were um, here in Arizona. I was like, I, I, I have to make it a point to go see these guys. I have to make it a point to see the Thompson Twins. Like, it, it's pretty funny early on in the cycle. You can pinpoint like who's going to piss you off as a prospect, like who's going to frustrate you. And I watched a little bit of their games. I was like, okay, I have to go see them. Like um, we had some, no ceilings guys that were lucky enough to go travel to Atlanta go to their pro days. I was not able to do that this time. Sorry, guys. I have some stuff in life that needs to be taken care of, but um, I got a car and I went and drove them and right off the bat, I was like, okay, these guys are, yeah, I understand it these guys are potential top five guys, both of them, um, both legit six, seven lengthy look like they're gonna have good, um, good frames to put good weight on, which is important. Good weight. And they, they float, they float all over the court. They just, it looks so damn easy. Like it's guys. Some guys look like they have to power up to get up in the air. Those guys just look like they barely even do anything. And it's just, they're floating. Like a damn Disney character, so um I'm overthinking them too, because this is I think everyone's doing this because of great points you just brought up, Nick, of the film, the access for the film's a little tough. I know this year they're taking the strides, they went to get you know what Amazon Prime and stuff like that, but then you go on YouTube and everyone they're all their games are the highlight edits, and it just looks easy again, it looks like you know an all-star game setting defense at some points. And I think we're just overthinking because we're like, okay, Victor, scoot, who's the next superstar in this class. Now everyone's saying it's Brandon Miller. And I think now we're trying to convince ourselves like, well, okay. The Thompson twins are going to be the superstars. And it's like, well, even if they're not, they have stuff to be really dang good at the next level. Like, I'm guilty of it too. I want every draft class to have, you know, 60 superstars. I I want every single player. That's what we do in those ceilings. We want, we're rooting for every single guy to, to have as much success as possible. But I think we also get drunk with comparing it to previous classes and Paula Bencaro looks great. Okay. Who's the next big guy of this class? Okay. If it's not Victor or scoot, who's the next guy we could find, you know, is it Jairus Walker? Cam Whitmore is exciting with his dunks. Could he be another superstar? We try to pump these guys up to be have higher ceilings than they might realistically, and that's the exciting part about evaluating and everything. But I think the Thompson Twins both have skills in their game that they're going to play a very, very long time, and that's not any slander of them. Like Both of them have an outside shot to work on, but both of them could be some of the best athletes in the NBA when they get drafted. Um, I think both of them have fantastic two-way upside. I think they're both very, very good playmakers. I think a is flashier, but I think yeah. Asar is slept on with his playmaking. I think he makes the right reads. He knows where the ball is supposed to go. So I, uh, I think everyone's obsessing about what range they should be. I've moved them down. I've moved them back up right now. I've just sit here and I'm like, why can't a men go back up? Like in the beginning of the year, I had them high, I had them low. And then I was like, well, now I'm, I'm kind of getting back to the starting point where I'm like, I, I keep wanting to move them up, but it's one of those where y- you see fans all of a sudden be like, well, the, how good is the competition level? And it's like, the, the fact is, and what I wrote about it, is like, the fact is it's better than last year. Yeah. It might not be the G league. It might not be college. But it's way, way better than it was last year. And that's exactly what they needed to do. They needed to get better this year. I think they both got better.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I think the defense is the toughest one for me because on the one hand, it's like they have all the tools in the world, right? Right. But the flip side is, you know, (laughs) I mean, even though the quality of competition has gotten better, you know, it's still not to the point where, like, you know, if they you know, kind of take a possession off in a sense, like just sort of, you know, lazily let a guy get past them and then, you know, recover to the rim and block the guy. It's like, okay, you know, great. That's, that's great that you can do that against this level of competition, but you know, those are the lapses that you can't afford to have at the next level. And, you know, it gets to the point where like, okay, the tools are very easy to see, especially the athletic tools. And I totally agree with you on the offensive end. I mean, Asar doesn't get the same kind of hype a man does in terms of playmaking, but you know, he also is someone who, you know, makes the right decision most of the time, you know, sees the floor pretty well, you know, especially for someone who's probably not going to be a primary point guard. But man, I don't know, the defense is tough to evaluate, because on the one hand, it's like they have, they have all the tools, right. And so it's easy to sort of see in my mind's eye, they get to the point where, you know, if defense becomes a focus for them, that they can actually be really, really elite defenders. But it's it's harder to project that in my mind than just, you know, seeing what they could do with the ball in their hands on the offensive end.
1: The defense is really tough. Um I I think if anything this year, maybe myself as a as an evaluator, I've I've sort of tried to calm down with being so harsh as a defensive critic. Mm-hmm. Because I think you do have to realize the situation everyone's in and when it comes to the overtime elite kids, like obviously if I'm watching someone on defense and they just don't care at all, like, yeah, I'm, I'm furious about that. I'm mean, going to hate it. <laughs> um, it's going to be, shout my pet peeve. yeah, shout out Bryce sensible. But, um, I also think when it's like, when you see the flashes, like, uh, I won't try to sugarcoat it. The overtime elite, you can tell it's all star defense at Like, it's just like, Oh, lay like, they go right <laughs> by him. And they're like, yeah, they got by me. But I, th- I think when you see both of the Thompson twins engaged, and passionate and locked in on defense. And you see like, okay, when it's, when they're going hundred miles an hour, this is what it looks like. Then you're like, whoa, that's scary. Good stuff. And it, it, I hate to say this, but I think they also know like a lot of these kids are smart. And when they get to the next level, they're like, I better be playing this way all the time or else I'm going to be on the bench. Exactly. And they're, I'm not going to be around. And, You know, I'm not gonna have this free pass because I'm a rookie. I gotta earn my stripes again. Like these guys are smarter than we realize. Like that's Jason Tatum came in a rookie as a rookie for the Celtics, and he gave an interview and I was like, this guy sounds like he's been in the league for 15 years. Like kids are getting smart, kids are getting much more mature. So I think you'll you have to also take that into consideration when watching defensive film, especially like the situation. Yes, if a guy's getting blown by all the time. I'm going to be, you know, very, very skeptical about his defense. But I've seen SAR and a man on defense sometimes. And when they're engaged, they're locked in and they're, you know, focused. They have all the tools to be potentially nasty, like the footwork, the violent hands, all that stuff. I, they have all the legit tools. I just think that's what frustrates us with the overtime elite is we want to see all the tools all the time at 100 miles an hour. Sometimes you get it in little spurts little flashes. Speaking of violent hands and exceptional defense, let's talk about the
0: overlooked names in here and the first one is Caseen Wallace. And yeah, sure. I brought up earlier that I scrubbed my board and, you know, started from scratch 3 weeks ago, not literally started from scratch, but essentially started from scratch 3 weeks ago, and the person in the lottery who climbed up my board the most was Caseen Wallace. I'm so proud of you for that statement. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. But
1: why yeah. why, why, why could or tell me why, Nick? We haven't talked about prospects too much. We need to talk more about this. So are you falling in love like me with Casey Wallace or what? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have him. I have him eighth right now. And oh, that's I love you for
0: that. And that's moving him up from I think he was 12th before I did that. And, you know, the key the keys to the to that evaluation for me. First of all, he is spectacular inside the arc. And, you know, him being able to put pressure on the rim the way he can on the offensive end and convert from two-point range is a huge part of his game. And then, you know, the other side is just, he is a sensational defender. He is a special defender at the point of attack. And, you know, when you put those two things together, I see someone who you know, at the very least, I think will be someone who you can reliably plug in as like a seventh man, be the defense first guard off the bench. And that I think is like, the floor for him is, you know, sort of a back end defense first rotation piece. But I mean, his shooting is decent, you know, it's not quite the same level outside the arc as it is inside the arc, but he's still, you know, definitely come along in terms of his three point shooting. And, you know, his outside shot looks more comfortable, his, you know, mid range game is, As I said already, you know, very, very solid. And yet, you know, the reason that I moved him up as much as I have is just that when you get his sort of combination of, you know, solid making the right reads playmaking, exceptional finishing inside the arc and his defense. That's someone that I think has a very safe floor. And if you're taking someone in the back half of the lottery... If you're a team that needs a point guard, he will fill out that rotation. If you're a team that needs an off-ball defensive guy who can make the right reads as a secondary playmaker, he can do that for you. There's just so many different ways that I see and Wallace succeeding and so few ways where I see him flaming out. And when you're talking about like you know the back half of the lottery, I think people tend to overrate just how successful the eighth pick in general tends to be at the NBA level. And you know, getting a really valuable role player slash fifth starter is a huge win at the eighth pick. And if I'm, you know, picking eighth and I need any kind of guard help, I'm looking Casey Wallace's way. And, you know, is you there are certain swings to the fences that you could take, you know, in that range that I wouldn't be too mad at. But if you get to the point where it's you're picking eighth and you really need a guard, Case and Wallace can do so much for your team.
1: I I have to admit that I have a mate on my board too. And I moved him up. So I'm go. really, really proud of you. Um I, I said it in my piece and I really do believe this. I think there's an argument to be made that like, you know, when we get past Victor and stuff like that, I, I think Kaysen could be the safest pick in the, in the lottery. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love his game. The more I watch him, the more I continue to like, I, I moved him to eighth and I just keep staring. I'm like, I think I could move him up again. Like he, I just, think he's safe and and the defense is what i keep coming back to um i think you're spot on like the floor feels so safe with his game he knows his strengths he knows you know offensively his bread and butter is either taking what the defense gives him or he's got some good floater like good touch in the lane he's got a good mid-range i thought the outside shot like he bang- he he was banged up this year and a lot of people don't realize that like you're gonna look at the the stats and be like, Oh, his three point percentage dipped. And it's like, well, Casey was playing through some injuries. He was playing banged up. He had, and that's important to realize too, is because you go look back and it's like, well, he was banged up in this stretch and you could see he struggled with his play. Like his performance just went down. And um, so I have like a little notes by that. I'm like, well, he was banged up during these games. But when Casey Wallace was clicking this year, I thought he was one of the most impressive guards in this class. And yeah, um, the upside with his versatility is so special, but defensively you watch him and I'm like, oh gosh, that's why I keep saying he's drew holiday. Cause he looks like the, drew holiday mm-hmm. on there. He, he goes at a different speed defensively than everybody else. He's just so comfortable in that. He knows that's his wheelhouse. So um, he's one of my favorite guys in this class because I, I like you, if I needed a guard, I would not think twice. I'd be saying Casey Wallace is probably a guy that's going to reach a third contract in the NBA. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where
0: I, I don't know, I tend to very highly value steals rates in non NBA players, because that translates at a higher rate than pretty much anything else. And sometimes, you know, when I sort of go down that road, I get into the trap of, you know, getting a bit too enamored with guys who aren't great defenders, but who are super aggressive in passing lanes. And so they have really great steals numbers without being great defenders. Cason Wallace gets a whole lot of his steals by just straight up dominating the guy across from him and just ripping the ball away from him and running down the other end of the court. Like it's the kind of thing where he's not making poor decisions and jumping passing lanes to get those steals. He's making the right reads in the passing lanes to get those steals, and also just straight up manhandling people and taking the ball away from them at the point of attack.
1: It's unbelievable too. Like he's... his recognition as a help defender, you know, digging on post up opportunities. I swear his hands just like, he's just seeing people with the ball in his hand. It's like, he's watching it in slow motion. Um, and, and everyone else like I, on defense, he's a top five pick just because like (laughs) what he is, he's got an elite defensive skill. Um, also he's one of the funniest guys I've talked about with this was Metcalf on the no ceilings pod. Like, he's unbelievable when he has a uh, chase down block opportunity. It's like, he's like, Oh yes. Like I've been waiting for this. thinking Like, <laughs> it's just hilarious to watch. Like, he's just like, yes. Like, it's like LeBron going for a chase down block. You're just like, Oh gosh, I've seen this movie a million times and someone's going to try it again. But yeah, someone's
0: walking down the dark hallway and you're screaming, no,
1: no, <laughs> don't go in the door. <laughs> you can hear the it- ch- Why are you going
0: through the door? <laughs>
1: But it happens every time, and and it's like he's like, awesome, great, thanks for, for thanks for doing this. And I, I just really, really think that's the guy we're gonna overthink because it might not be the sexiest prospect in this class. It's not gonna be the the Scoot Henderson that flies above the rim for emphatic slams, or the Victor Wembenyama that's just an alien on the court, or Brandon Miller that's bombing from deep. But you know, Cason can play. He, he's a stud. He's Vanilla ice cream's always come through when you need it to. And in case of Wallace's game is vanilla ice cream, it's always going to be there. It's always going to get the job done. So the next two players
0: in this overlooked name section, Colby Jones and Jordan Hawkins. So I just talked to Albert for 40 minutes yesterday about Colby Jones and the Draft Act will be coming out with a film deep dive that they did with Colby Jones. That will be coming out the day after you listen to this podcast. So I won't belabor Colby Jones too much, but suffice it to say, he's someone who basically the entire season, every time I've looked at where he is on my board, I'm like, why isn't he higher? He should probably be higher. And then the other guy in this section is someone I do want to hit on. Jordan Hawkins for UConn. Mm -hmm. He's someone who I wrote about early in the season. And basically I came away from it being like, This guy is one of the best off-ball movement shooters we have in this class, and he's also an exceptional off-ball defender. I fell in love with his off-ball defense when I was putting together that article. He's, And you say, you know, why isn't he a top-20 pick, right? It's like, this is a guy who's shooting incredibly difficult three-pointers at a very high volume, and for most of the season was at 40%. I think he had a cold stretch down the stretch run and dropped his percentage to like 38%, but, you know, basically near 40% on crazy difficult looks and elite volume from three paired with, you know, again, I think he's a really, really great off ball defender. When you put that package together, it's like, it seems pretty obvious that it's something that people can overthink because when you just look at the baseline of, okay, due to six, five, he's one of the best, you know, off ball movement guys in the class. And he's this really great off ball defender. What are we, what are we thinking about? Like, why is he, why is he not someone who we're thinking about more highly? And I mean, it's funny because I have him at nineteen at the moment, but you know, there were definitely points earlier in the season where, you know, after I wrote about him, all of a sudden it seemed like you know, everybody else was higher on him than I was. I was like, What's what's going on here? You know, maybe I'm maybe I fell too much in love with him to the point where I'm not bumping him as high up by board because I feel like I'm biased in his favor, but I mean, he's ridiculous as a three-point shooter and when you combine that with his off-ball defense it's like this is someone who's going to have a role at the nba a very obvious role and you know if he sort of develops his game from there fantastic you know if he gets better you know as a self-creator if he gets better as a passer fantastic but if he doesn't he's already
1: got a pretty clearly defined nba role i'm uh i'm not gonna go in depth with colby jones because nick spot on we've had a lot of colby jones talk lately the colby jones film sesh is one of my most i'm so excited to watch that i've i heard he was fantastic Corey and albert praised him thank you colby for coming on that i'm I'm pumped to watch that um and i wrote about him earlier this year go check it out no ceilings i love him so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bore you nick because i know you talked to albert about him but um i absolutely do love colby jones i he's the one guy I keep looking at and saying, why don't I move him higher? And I think I just moved him to 16 and I'm still having mm-hmm. that conversation. So I want to focus on Jordan Hawkins because he's the guy all year. Every time I watch him, I love him. I love them the beginning year. It's funny because I felt the same way. I, f- I was like, I feel like I, Metcalf was so funny. At the beginning of the year, I was pushing Jordan Hawkins on him. I was like, would you just watch this guy from UConn? I feel really, really good about him as a breakout guy. And he wouldn't watch him all year. And then Metcalf would have him classic in like the Metcalf. 40s. Yeah. Classic Metcalf. He'd have him in like the 40s. And I'd be like, what is your problem? Why don't like you need to <laughs> really, really watch this guy. And now Metcalf's like, had him at like 17 or something. I was like, you jerk. But I keep watching him. And I'm like, what, you know, I think he's the best movement shooter in this draft. Um, I, I think you just said that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I agree with you. I I've, I keep having this feeling, this chill go down my spine. that I'm like, is the conversation of him being in the lottery need to be more realistic? Because if he's six, five and, and the measurement is going to be really big. I, I I hope he's six, five and change. I'm scared. He's going to be six, four and change, which will just piss me off because If he's got good size, I think he's sneaky bouncy. I think he's got some good athleticism. He can attack. He can pull up on a dime. um, Shoots. He runs for miles. He just checks a ton of boxes where I'm like, why isn't this a lottery guy? And then I'm like, I'm looking at a guy like Gritty Dick, who I love Gritty Dick. I think he's a good prospect. But I'm like, why? I think this conversation might be a lot closer than people realize Mm. because Hawkins just looks like a bucket, like all over the place. I think he's super fluid, um, and the defensive awareness off the ball, like you're talking about, has really showed me some stuff is there that's just like a – you need to open up Pandora's box because I think Jordan Hawkins has some defensive upside. Um, He had a sequence – I forget who it was against this year, but it was like help side, steal – saved it, ran down. They hit him in transition. He hits a three. And I was just like, oh my, okay. (laughs) Like it just looked like a lottery pick. And I think we're all treating him as if he's like a old junior. And it's like, this is a sophomore who can play, who might be six, five in a league that's really hunting for offense right now. And I think Hawkins got all the tools. So that's the one that's keeping me up at night because I'm like, why isn't this a lottery pick? And I wrote that in my article and I'm guilty of it. I have them at like 17 or 18. I'm like, why is this not a lottery pick? But overthinking season. (laughs)
0: That's fascinating. The Grady Dick comparison. I hadn't thought of it through that light, but yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately I think Grady's probably slightly better as a standstill guy, but I mean, I buy into Hawkins much more on defense. Now, now you're making me overthink this in real time. I (laughs) I never thought about
1: it, Nick, until you were just talking and I was like, why haven't we talked about that debate? And now I'm gonna post one like a choose one tomorrow, and everyone's gonna say this is greedy dick by a mile. are you can't yeah, like, you like, cool. Great, awesome. Uh, thank I'm glad we had this overthinking conversation. That was <laughs> that was really helpful.
0: <laughs> so the next section I want to get into is your potential versus production section. Yeah. And this, I think, the highlight for me of this one, I mean, we talked about Ryan repair already. I yeah. think we're in a pretty similar place. I at the time, I didn't move him into my first round because I wasn't sure who to move him ahead of. Now, I have him pretty comfortably in the first round at twenty seven The player I want to hit on in the most depth here is James Naji, who mm-hmm. he's someone who I had barely watched at all before you know you started clamoring for him earlier in the season and It's really weird because like, you know, on the one hand, part of me is like, you know, this is kid with ridiculous tools, you know, playing in one of the best leagues in the world, but you know, he's not producing. Okay. But it's not like, you know, again, it's sort of similar to the discussion we had with repair, right? Where it's like, okay, but you see the flashes from this guy and it's spectacular, but I don't know. I mean. I feel like this is a very strange big man class and that makes it easy for me to look at Najee and be like, you know, I wonder, should I have him higher? I should probably have him higher. But yeah, I mean, just box score chasing is not going to, you know, sort of give you the most positive impression of him. But, you know, every once in a while he he does a flash, he has a flash of something where it's like, you know, he just rolls to the rim and destroys somebody. It's like, you know, if this could, this could really be a guy, but I don't know. I feel much more comfortable with repair than Najee. And, you know, admittedly, I've watched a lot more repair than I have Najee. You know, I'm not going to pretend that that's not the case, but it is this very interesting space where because this big man class is so weird, Najee is definitely someone I could see climbing up, you know,
1: over the course of the next few months leading into the draft itself. He's the the one guy I kind of dug around the beginning of the year to get some, some intel, some vibe, because I, I have some connections that are fantastic with international guys that I always lean on. Cause uh, I trust what they say, they're always usually spot on. And I'm like, dang, you guys are good. So, <laughs> um, you know, I keep, I keep them, keep them in my pocket to, to kind of pick their minds. And, um, the one guy I kept asking, I was like, well, you know, Najee's got buzz coming into the year. I'm excited to see what he does. I know he's, he's with a tough place to, to get minutes. And that's what everyone needs to remember. It is really hard to evaluate guys like this that are trying to play for really dang good clubs in the early Najee's trying to play with SC Barcelona that roster is incredible like if you want to laugh if you're listening right now go look at their roster and they have so many guys that have spent some serious time in the EuroLeague or spent a lot of time in the NBA level like it's just crazy and I'm like I looked at their starting lineup one day, and I was like, "Oh no, shit! No reason he can't get minutes right now. Like that team is stacked. I think um, off the top of my head, I think like Miritich is on that. I think like a ton of guys that you're just like, oh my gosh, okay, they can play. Um, and Naji's a, a, an interesting one because his box score is gonna. This is gonna be the guy that if you look at his box score, you're gonna be like, who did we draft? <laughs> but I watch him defensively. He's like 6'10", 230. He looks like he's 275 of muscle. (laughs) He's just absolute, looks like the Hulk. He explodes above the rim. He's got lengthy arms. He's got good shot blocking. He's got really impressive defensive sequences that you're like, okay, there's some stuff there that just needs more minutes, needs more minutes. Um, But if you're chasing box scores, you're going to be disgusted. And... I think this is going to be a guy that's like your developmental big Clint Capella, make life simple for him, set good screens, block shots, rebound. Like he can be a disaster on the boards for an opponent and, you know, dunk everything, be a good role, man. Um, The same scouts I asked or the same guys in the league and front offices. I asked, they were like, Hey, if he went to Texas, he'd be in the first round. He'd be a lock. I still think there's a chance he is a first-rounder despite this because we're going to have a lot of teams with multiple picks in the first. Everyone always wants to draft those guys to be like, oh, we have four first-round picks. We're going to mm-hmm. take four players to make the roster next year. Front offices don't want to do that. They, they're they either going to trade them or they're going to stash them. I don't know if is going to be a guy that you bring over right away. But if you do, you're going to be damn excited about it because you're going to be like, okay, this is our backup guy that maybe we need to play him a full year in the G League just so he gets run, just so he gets touches. And then he might not be in the G League the whole year. I mean, I think he has that much talent, um, but he just needs reps. He just needs reps because there's some advanced analysis on the defensive side of the ball from him. Like he, he reads an entire sequence really well. He's got really good feet for how big and bulky he is. He he can move and kind of survive on his own on the island. But there's also rawness. Like, you'll see sometimes where you're like, okay, I understand why you're playing nine minutes. But he's going to turn 19 in August. So he's going to be 18 on draft day, playing for one of the best teams in the world. Um, I just really, really think Najee's a guy you got to keep an eye on. And I, I'm a big potential guy. I love to see, like, high upside. And I'm also a humongous production guy. I want to see you prove that you can keep getting better, but Najee's just one of those that maybe he hasn't found that stride yet. And he's just waiting to be, you know, unleashed. And I think NBA teams are going to be very intrigued when they get him around for workouts.
0: Yeah. It's hard to earn minutes as an 18 year old when you're behind Nikola Miritich and Jan Vesely. <laughs> like
1: yes. not the easiest. look up that. Te- Did you look up that team while I was <laughs> on my rant? Insane. it, well, you have to tell me some other ones. I feel like their starting lineups absurd because it's uh, all. What is yeah, it? It's. Uh, <laughs> all right. It's uh, Thomas
0: Sadoransky.
1: Yes. Like Sadoransky's your starting point guard.
0: Yeah. Djokovitis, uh, And then uh, Alex Sabrinas at forward and <laughs> Nikola Miritich and. uh Jan Vesely at center.
1: Those are all, like, and everyone's loving, like, oh, Jan Jan Vesely's been, like, one of the best players in EuroLeague for, like, years. He was also the Um, sixth overall
0: pick for a reason.
1: Just because he played for the NBA doesn't mean he doesn't have skills. Miritich, I think, is is Corey Higgins still on the roster? Yes. Yeah. Corey Higgins went to, uh, fun fact, went to my high school. Um, I think Michael Jordan's godson um, went to Colorado. He has made a lot of money playing in the Euro League. He has become a damn good player in the Euro League. So, like that team is stacked, and you know the fact that Naji's getting any minutes with that type of roster is just remarkable. I was shocked. Like I'd watched their games and I was like, gosh, a lot of these guys look familiar. And then I like looked up the roster and I was like, Oh my gosh, like how That's why I wonder they're a juggernaut. And I was like, Okay, no wonder he's only playing nine minutes a game. So um it's just impressive. The flip
0: side of that discussion, of course, is the older college players who have yeah. been putting together really great seasons. And you know, it's funny because you brought it up, you know, the idea of yes, potential is, you know, very important for the evaluation process, but production matters too. you know, being able to actually do things on the court is also important. And, you know, the names that you bring up, uh, Chris Murray and Marcus Sasser, they've been first round locks for me, mid first round locks for me most of the year. Trace Jackson Davis is someone who it's interesting because I came into the year, you know, last year I had him at 40, 41, something like that, where it's like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is someone who can translate to the NBA level. And then, this season his passing goes up like four levels and it's like okay you know what i see it now it's a lot easier to see now than it was before but you know even then this is someone who's been producing at the college level for you know four years now and you know even though he's climbed much higher up my board this year than he did last year you know that's he's still a clear second round guy for me last year just purely based on his production despite being you know essentially a six nine center
1: yeah it's sorry we got a little uh Fun sounds in the background for everyone could hear that. But um, the, the, fun, the funny thing about all these older guys is I was the same way. Like last year, I gave Metcalf a lot of crap, and I hate to keep bringing him up, but uh, I always give him crap about TJD. It was like our inside joke because I just love well, watching given TJD.
0: Given that he abandoned this podcast, I'm perfectly happy if you're talking crap on him here.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well, we don't need to praise him at all. But um, <laughs> I, I loved TJD last year. I just thought he was going to be a really good second-round steal. And then when he decided to go back, I was like, "All right, I get it. Like, you're going to make a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and That was nil, probably, or you know, what I'm just saying. Like, you, he was going to be a potential national player of the year. They were probably going to try to contend for a title. Like, I get it. And I thought the strides he's taking this year. Like, everyone always thinks these guys are unfinished products because are are they're finished products? Excuse me, because they're staying as, as a junior and a senior, and it's like." We need to stop looking at these guys in a negative way. Some of these guys are really smart with saying, hey, my best basketball is not here yet. I need to work on my game. And I think TJD this year, we've all wanted him to be this outside shooter. I feel like that was everyone's thing was like, if he just developed a little bit of a mid-range, if he could step out and hit that jump shot, gosh, like this guy would be nasty. He'd have everything. (laughs) And instead this year, he said, well, I'm still working on that, but now I got this in my game and he's become an unbelievable playmaker. Um, Metcalf did an article about his playmaking specifically. And I I just think it's the one part of his game that now we're like, Whoa, if that's also in this game, you know, with how productive he's been this year, he's been sensational. I I think there's now a conversation of like, why isn't he a first round guy? So um, I highlighted your boy, Chris Murray too. In my article, I was like, Chris Murray's right there. Like, like, He's been sensational this year. I thought the. uh, I remember you wrote in the beginning of the year about his defensive playmaking. And if I'm correct, yes? I mean, I just wrote about him in general, but yes, that was part of the article. You you had talked to me about um, his playmaking defensively. And I was like, wow. And then I started watching his film. I was like, oh gosh, like Nick's spot on about that. Chris has really impressed me this whole year. And so, as TJD, and I think, you know, just because of their age, we shouldn't punish them because they accepted the fact that hey, I need to keep working on my game. I'm not ready to go like we I'd rather that happen than them go declare as freshmen and not be ready and get drafted 58th and they're out of the league in two years. Like what well, I I think it's we need to praise them, not punish them, if that makes sense.
0: No, I totally get it. And I mean, especially with NIL being a thing now and the NCAA not just, you know, literally stealing money out of these college kids' pockets. It's like there's actually, you know, it's a lot easier for these players to say, no, you know what, I'm going to stay in school for another year. You know, I'll, I'll get another NIL deal. I'll, you know, get, get some money that way rather than like having to have one meal a day for, you know, the entirety of my college career. Cause I can't afford to eat and the school won't pay for my food, but you know, that concept it's, it's a lot easier now with NIL, but it's still incredibly important. And I mean, Metcalf actually did deign to come on the podcast to talk about Trace Jackson Davis' passing with me a few weeks ago. And you know, that was the thing where it's like, okay, this is a guy who, you know, based on the production, I think is a clear, you know, mid second round guy. That's sort of where I was with him last year. And it's like, okay, he's added this entirely, I mean, not entirely new dimension, but you know, really new dimension to his game. And, you know, something that came up when I was talking with him about it is. You know, when I was doing this dive three weeks ago, I was like, I came away from it more impressed with Jalen Huchefino on the defensive end, but actually less impressed with him on the offensive end because, it's like, so much of his game is just opened up by TJD being there and being TJD. And you know, it's a good thing that they were able to develop such a high level two man game so quickly. You know, I think that's a good sign for both of their games. But also, it's like Jalen Huchefino's life is made so much easier because Trace Jackson Davis has become the passer he has and you know combine that with being the crazy vertical athlete that he already was
1: and i think everyone needs to put that in their evaluations when you're trying to almost critique tjd it's like well look at how much gravity he pulls towards him and i think this year a lot of teams were like well we're just going to double tjd and he's like well that's what i want you to do now right, <laughs> i'm going to un- yeah i'm going to light you up with my playmaking and make life easier and that's been the best part of his game. Um, you know, I, I, it's almost a bigger development in that way that like, I, I kind of had this hot take. I was like, I almost prefer the playmaking massive leap than him shooting 30% from three, you know? Cause yeah. I was just like, now it's a more versatile threat that if he unlocks the shot one day, just to be able to step out and be like, you got to respect me out here. Then you have something. And I I still believe that TJD is going to intrigue some organization enough that he's going to play a long time at the next level. I have no doubts about that. I really do believe that he's got too much, you know, in his shed to offer a team.
0: And before we get on to the final section and wrap this one up, Marcus Sasser was the third name on that list. And yeah. He's someone who we talked about a whole lot at No Ceilings last year. You know, basically, there was a period of time when, you know, after he got hurt, he was starting to drop and drop and drop down boards. And then, you know, the end of the season comes around, he has an incredibly impressive run. And, you know, he went to one of the invitationals, right? And just tore it up. I'm I'm trying to remember, but yeah.
1: Yeah, he I think he was even, um, I think he even went to the combine and was, he wasn't playing there, but I think he was doing well. And then just said, Hey, I'm coming, I'm coming back. And yeah. I, everyone was like, all right, awesome. Oh, um, but what I was wanting to get out there with you too, is he, uh, after he like, it's, I thought he had a chance regardless of getting hurt last year. I thought he still had a chance to impress and sneak into the, fir- into the first round. Cause I think a lot of NBA guys have been intrigued with Sasser. They know when he's healthy, he's a damn good floor general he's crafty he's nasty he's really really gritty and um i thought this year he looked to be forcing it when he when he announced that he was going to come back i thought he was going to force it a little bit because i was like he's gonna be motivated he's gonna be like this is my team this is my year my senior year we got a shot to win the title i thought he was forcing it a little bit to start out the year and then there's just a, a part of the year where you just saw like he just started clicking and everything slowed down and it was like okay he's healthy he looks like he's found his groove and sasser was for the last month and change he's been playing some fantastic basketball he just got banged up in his conference tournament which is annoying and i'm hoping that he gets to play in the tournament but i still think that's another guy production and um you know consistency over the years he's gotten better he's shown it that end of the first round someone might get a steal
0: all right, so before we wrap this up, we teased this earlier, but you said you had a few guys that you wanted to throw to me as potential overthinking guys. Uh-huh. I had one in particular that I really wanted to throw okay. your way. Are we overthinking Nick Smith Jr.? Because I know that you in particular have said that you've dropped him down your board quite a bit in recent days, but ultimately the way I'm looking at it is, and you know, he was someone who fell quite a bit when I did my re-evaluation dive, but that's because... I had been holding onto my stock from the beginning of the season. You know, I was super high on him heading into the season and I just, you know, didn't let it drop. And, you know, if I'm remembering correctly, like the January draft deck, he was still like four or something like that, you know, like clearly in the top five. And then he came back and has been playing through injury and his stock has fallen tremendously while he's playing through injury. And, you know, I'm at a point with him where it's like, am I really going to drop this guy out of my lottery when I would have had him in the top five had he not come back and played and had a few impressive games, but also had a few tougher moments, you know, like, given his athleticism, given his effort level on the defensive end, given his ability to score from all three levels, you know, there, some guys in the no ceilings career are higher on his passing than others, but we don't even need to get into that, you know, when we're talking about his shooting ability, his ability to create his own shot, his ability to create shots for others, his ability to score at all three levels, his defensive, you know, makeup, are we overthinking it by dropping him out of the lottery? And I still have him at twelfth. That's a pretty significant drop from where he was before he came back in February. But, you know, again, that's like dropping him based on him not playing as well when we know for a fact that he's playing through an injury that it seemed like would knock him out for the rest of the year.
1: I think we're overthinking it. I think I'm overthinking it. Um but I think it's it's warranted. It's um it, it's I think it's the idea that everyone's getting confused with what Nick Smith is. I think everyone's wanting him to be this averages six or seven assists per game guy and I think he's he is a player that is had a really rough freshman year. This yeah. was a projected top 4 pick. That, you know, got a late start to the year because of a knee injury. Then his knee injury started bug him again. So they sat him out for almost a whole year. He's coming back now, a guard making the jump to college basketball. Like White Whitehead at Duke, another guy that's been struggling this year. He adamantly said in an interview, he's like, everything's moving so damn fast. I'm just trying to get like, get caught up and figure everything out. So Nick Smith's probably in that same conversation. I mean, I think it's a guy that's just trying to figure it out. We have to take into consideration the the situation. I have him at 14. I submitted my big board for no ceilings. I hate it. I like, I already want to move him back up because I'm all of this negativity or this just like kind of dropping him down. Then I go back and I look at the numbers. I'm like, yeah, I think he's averaging almost like 20 a game in his last six or something games. I think his shooting splits are like 40, 40, 85 or something. Like, and I just think it's also like Anthony Black's been fantastic for Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Nick Smith's still trying to find his groove. I think he's trying to, you know, when you, when you're that talented and you're a guy that comes in with lofty expectations, I think that weighs in on you. You hear it. A yeah. uh, friend of the program, Jalen Clark at UCLA did an awesome draft deck episode. And he's like, everyone's lying that says they don't pay attention to where they are on big boards and mock drafts. You're watching, you're paying attention. So I, Nick Smith, I, I guarantee you was like, man, I'm not putting up these numbers. They thought I was going to be a top five pick. Like I got to start playing good. I got to start, you know, he's, he's probably thinking too far ahead. And um I have him at 14. I'm already wanting to be like, okay, Hey, I need to have a Nick Smith hour and re, watch film re dive into that. And I also think that's going to be a guy I'm most fascinated to watch Arkansas in round one of the tournament, because I think this is a very big, I don't like to overreact to tournament play. I always take it with a grain of salt, but I want to see what Nick Smith can do. Yeah, I want to see if Nick Smith's like, this is it. I'm I'm, going to put on a show. If I'm going out, I'm going out swinging this first game. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, it's not like a one game's going to move him up eight spots on my board, but I that one performance could make me think like, hey, maybe I am overthinking this. Maybe, like you're saying, Nick, maybe we are real like forgetting guys playing banged up. He's been playing banged up all year. Maybe he's not healthy. Who knows? Because um, I know a lot of people are going to be upset when they're listening to this. And our mock draft came out. A lot of people are going to be upset. <laughs> I was upset, and I'm lower on him. I, I was like, what are we doing? We, we got this guy going too low. So. um, I don't know. I think it's a guy, a guard that's really, really trying to prove a statement and he's trying to do too much too fast. That's what I want to believe. And I think there's a real chance that's, that's the right story. If things just slow down and he doesn't have that pressure, we might be be like, dang, we were all, were thinking way too much about this.
0: I think part of it also is that he was below 30% from three when Arkansas declared him out in December. And, you know, since then he's, you know, 36% since he came back from, you know, his first set of injuries earlier in the season. Right. You know, I think part of it is, you know, and this is for me as well, a huge part of the reason that I bought into him was like, wow, this guy can be a really incredible scorer at all three levels, but the three point percentage is not there. Is that a problem? And it's like, well, you know, when you're talking about a sample size of like f- literally five games before he went out with injury, it's like, You know, even the best shooters of the world, like even Steph Curry is going to have games where, you know, he goes one for 11 and then two for 13 from three and back to back days. That's just that kind of thing happens. And, you know, when you're talking about a sample size of literally five games, it looks a lot worse
1: when you have a couple of bad shooting nights. Every single person, every single basketball player in the world can have a bad stretch. And um, I I think it really is important, like you're saying, like for especially Nick Smith, like he, he goes one for nine from downtown next game, because of the lack of attempts he's had this whole year, that's going to plummet his stuff. Like, yeah. And if people have to realize that. And it, there's a lot of prospects in this class, like Nikola Jurisic overseas. He'll have a game where he goes three point, like three for four from downtown and everyone's it's like, Oh gosh, you know, there goes <laughs> his three percent percentage just spiked. And then all of a sudden he goes oh for six the next game. And I'm like, well, there he goes. He's shooting 11% again. But, you you, you got to just trust what you see on tape. And I think he's looked much better right now. Um, I'm hoping we get a little Arkansas run just so I can see as much more Nick Smith and get as much tape as I want. And um, you, you go back and watch him in high school. That's going to probably be something that people have to do when you really deep dive in on Nick Smith. You're going to have to go back and be like, let me watch what Nick Smith was coming into this Because um, I I think this Arkansas year, like a big component of scouting, is don't let one year tell the whole story. I think that's going to be kind of the, the you know, the the card the card you want to play with with Nick Smith this year is like, hey, are we going to put too much weight into this? Um, Because I think the medicals are going to be bigger. I think as long as he checks out, teams are going to be a big fan.
0: Well, and that sort of gets into, you know, the last section of your article, which is, you know, the idea of Intel season, right? Like if his medicals come back and it's like, you know, he had a couple of freak injuries, no long-term concerns, he's going to be fine. Just, you know, let him get healthy and he'll be good to go versus like, actually, there's, you know, this long-term thing that we're worried about with his ankle. You know, we're not sure how long he's going to hold up at the NBA level. That's, you know, the kind of thing that could lead to him falling, even without him, you know, putting together a good run in the tournament.
1: Intel's everything um intel is gold for everyone out there all of us are making our big boards and i know no us at no ceilings we're probably about a good month away before all of a sudden we're gonna get intel flying in and we're gonna be like oh my goodness and i think a lot of us make our boards at now and we're not gonna let our board like intel sway everything but it's also important for i mean if you're an evaluator if you're a scout like you finding out good Intel and, and finding everything it could have you like, say you're in a front office and you are thinking about, you know, Nick Smith or Keontae George, and you get great Intel about Nick Smith and maybe you get good Intel about Keontae, but you really, really, you know, you're, the numbers are telling you Nick Smith has a brighter future. I don't know. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. Like that's where Intel can sway stuff. Um, These are, 18 19 20 year old kids that you're about to invest millions and millions of dollars of intel is everything um organizations want to find out if this kid's a hard worker if they're a good teammate if they stay after if they come early um what makes them tick and and i i do think we're getting to the part of the year where Intel's gonna be a lot um you're gonna see some guys come up out of nowhere that you're like i've had him 18th all year why is all of a sudden you know everyone saying he's gonna go top 10 it's like there's there's always stuff going on behind the scenes. You're always going to find out stuff. And every prospect's going to have intel. So it's gold. Every team wants it. And the guys that can find out the best intel, they, they get the big bucks in the industry. So before we wrap this one up, you said you had a couple for me in terms of overthinking guys? Um, yeah. So I think Nick Smith, actually I'm right there with you about um, overthinking. Let me look at my big board fast. Um, I would have said... You know, I I would have said before, a couple weeks ago, I would have said I'm overthinking um, Cam Whitmore. Mm. Um, And I'll give you a sleeper. I think I'm overthinking Leonard Miller. Okay, that's an interesting one. That's a little bit of a wild card. I think I'm overthinking him, and I had him in my top 45. But um, I'm thinking he might be needing a bit of a, a boost up my board. Because I just think it's he's got unique skills. He's 6'10", 6'11", um, can handle it a little bit. I think he's been a monster on the boards. He's been really productive lately. I think this is a guy I'm overthinking because I'm looking at his outside shot. Maybe he's just not an outside shooter. Maybe he's just a very skilled, lengthy forward that is going to thrive at the next level. And And that's also one where I'm like, am I overthinking the... I guess red flag if you want to put it, but I don't even know if it's that big of a red flag. I think he just also knows his role, knows his strength. So I don't know. Those are my biggest ones off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I bumped him up to 42 for the recent update. And I think, I think I'm in a pretty similar boat with Leonard Miller where I think a lot of it too, for me was it took a few months for me to sort of get the priors from last year out where it's like, okay, he's actually made a significant jump since last season. He's not, he's not the player he was last year. He's, you know, he's developed a lot in the G league, you know, he's grown a lot on the defensive end, you know, Maxwell in particular, talked about, you know, how much better he's been on that end. And also, you know, the kind of influence he is, you know, in terms of his rebounding. So, yeah, I mean, he's someone who definitely has the tools to be higher than where he is on my board right now. And I think part of it is just that, you know, you know, you're talking about it with Nick Smith, right. You know, you have to go back to the prior at a certain point and see, okay, you know, what what was he doing last year? Right, try not to evaluate him just on the one year sample, and I think that's the kind of thing that could drag him down for me, honestly. Because last year I was not particularly impressed with him, but this year he's shown significant improvements in pretty critical areas.
1: Absolutely, um, and I'm right there with you. I think I just I made a big I I did move him up to 44. So that's funny that you're right around the same area I did. But I just think it's a guy that I need to even keep moving up more. I I just. As soon as I've submitted it, I had I always have these guys. Where I'm like, that guy should be going up more. And I've seen what Leonard Miller yeah. has been doing lately, and I'm just like, he looks fantastic. So I don't know. That's why that's why we update him every every month, folks. That's why we keep doing this. That's why we keep practicing, keep grinding.
0: Yeah, and I mean, especially given where I have Scoot and CD Sissoko on my board, you know, the whole ar- a huge part of the argument that I'm making for them is they're doing it in the second best league in the world. It's like that is still true for Leonard Miller as well. Maybe yeah. I should think that one a bit.
1: Yeah, maybe we should trust that one too. I think he's doing yeah. good as well.
0: All right, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this one up?
1: I'm all said. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I, I I appreciate it, Nick. As always, it's always an exciting time to talk hoots with you.
0: Yeah, this was definitely a fun one. I wanted to make sure to have you on because, again, you know, I, I overthink my regular life. So I particularly you know, <laughs> overthink when it comes to draft stuff and, you know, have to submit boards and all of those things. You know, when, uh, when other people are relying on my, you know, analysis to form boards, you know, in the way that our consensus boards are done at no ceilings, it's like, you know. I, I really do want to get this right. And so of course that means I'm going to overthink every single prospect at every single position on the board, except when uh, not one I'm past that it, one.
1: hundred percent. It seems like we're not overthinking the first guy, but other than that, <laughs> it's, it's free range.
0: All right. Well, he is Tyler Rucker. You can find him at Tyler underscore Rucker on Twitter, and you can usually find him throwing out ridiculous memes on the no ceilings NBA account as well. And you can find him on the no ceilings NBA podcast on Fridays as well. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson, and you can find my written work on noceilingsnba.com as well. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That is always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedbacks regarding, feedback regarding the Deep Dives portion of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.